Hi and welcome to the Girl Next Door podcast. I'm your host Renee Bennett and this is a leadership podcast for ordinary girls compelled to lead an extraordinary life. Make sure you come and find me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. G'day, my name's Emma and I am the founder of Pippin Girl. Do you have a teen girl in your life? Mamas, dads, sisters, aunties, teachers, counsellors, youth workers, we are talking to you. Pip and Girl is a platform and publication passionate about providing fair dinkum, wonderful resources to empower you and that bright young girl in your life as you navigate the beautiful, sometimes hairy, journey to womanhood. We cover anatomy, puberty, health, body image, relationships, but most of all encourage your girl to treasure and take care of that remarkable body of hers. Join us in creating a healthier world for the next generation of girls. Jump on our website www.pipandgirl.com.au to check out our cool, fun and pretty resources or follow us on Instagram to find out more about who we are. Have a good one, lovely, and enjoy the podcast. Hello, hello everyone. How are you? It's so great to be back with you again. Hey, you're going to notice my voice is a little bit off this week. I'm really sorry. I probably should pre-record sometimes for when my voice does this. Anyway, I've been a little bit under the weather and I've just preached at a women's conference. So combine those two and my voice is a little bit Demi Moore. If you don't know who that is, look it up. (laughs) Anyway, we'll see if my voice lasts. Welcome to episode 81 of our leadership podcast. Today, um, I want to continue the conversation that we started last week uh, all around this whole equality, equity, uh, you know, not just in treatment, but in outcome. Because a couple of days after I did last week's episode, something came across my table and I thought, oh my gosh, I have to speak about this again, because this is exactly what I was trying to say last week. So anyway, let's just do a quick recap on last week where we compared the current conversation around equality and equity with the Bible. Okay, so we talked about what we have in common, which is that the Bible and current conversation do agree that all people are of equal value. And I think it's really great when we can start off from a place of where we do agree, like where's our common ground? And the common ground between current conversation and the Bible is we all do agree, well, I hope everyone does, that people, no matter who they are, no matter their gender, their race, their creed, their religion, where they live in the world, everybody is of equal value. Now, I haven't done this before in a podcast, but I actually said something last week that I thought more about. And at first I was like, oh my gosh, I think I might've been wrong. And then I thought, no, I think I was partly right, but I need to expand on it a bit more. And that is, I said last week that the Bible also, another area where we agree with modern conversation is that the Bible also values equality of opportunity. Now, to some degree, I do think that that's correct, and I named a couple of those examples. For example, everyone has fallen short according to the Bible, and therefore everyone has the opportunity for redemption. Everyone has the opportunity to access the presence of God. Everyone has the opportunity to, for example, access God in prayer. So there are many examples where we all have um, a quality of opportunity. 
But I actually think there are also other examples in the Bible where not everyone was given the same opportunity at the beginning. And so I wanted to expand on what I said last week because I don't think I I showed both sides of that. So I wanted to use for an example Matthew chapter 25 which is the parable of the talents. Okay? So the master that was giving some talents to his servants. So go and read for yourself Matthew 25. But according to that parable, it was according to the abilities of each man, right? According to their abilities, they were either given five talents or two talents or one talent, okay? Now, if that parable were being told today and we had eight talents to distribute to three people, I know exactly what would happen in today's society. According to today, because of equity and equal treatment and equal opportunity, we would say that you have to give three to the first man, three to the second man. Now we've only got two left. So what we could do is give two to the third man plus borrow one from the government to make sure that we are all being equitable. But Jesus did not do that. According to this parable, he gave the talents, the master gave the talents according to ability. Why might that be? Well, because Jesus knows that we are all made differently. From birth, we are not equal. We are not equal in physical size. We are not equal in IQ. We are not equal in appearance or personality. So in that respect, it goes against, flies in the face of the Bible that we all must start um, from equal footing because it's just not how we were made. Now, even more interesting in this parable, to the person, to the man who doubled his investment in that parable, Jesus didn't say, oh, you greedy person, give me your earnings and let me redistribute them equally, which is, as we know, socialism. In fact, the parable doesn't even begin with the equal distribution of wealth, nor does it end with the equal distribution of wealth. In fact, Jesus goes a step further. Not only did he not berate the man that made more, he actually said the one who started with one talent and hid it and ended up with the same amount that he started with was lazy. Oh my gosh, shock horror. There is not any equity happening here in this parable, guys. So Jesus said, okay, this one man who had one uh, one talent and, and buried it, and didn't increase it, was lazy, and then he took that, he took it from that one man and gave it to the man who already had the most and made the most. There ain't no equity or equality happening here. And I think it's a very interesting parable because what that parable teaches us is it's not to do with us having an equal distribution of um, of the resources, it's actually to do with our work ethic and our abilities. And if we're working hard and investing things, and I think God is more about that. Uh, then there's also the fact that Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is required. Think about that. To whom much is given, much is required. So therefore, again, some people 
are given more to begin with. Now there's a greater responsibility on them, but that means they're not starting on an equal footing. Some people start with more. So we spoke about the biggest difference between the Bible and current modern conversation being around the outcome as well. And that the fact that the the world is fast moving towards equity and equality of outcome and the idea that although we all might start in different places, we should all end up in the same place. But again, like I said last week, the Bible does not support that idea. So I started to point out last week that for that to be achieved, somebody, and that somebody obviously being a human being or a a group of human beings like the government or big tech or some big global company, someone with power would need to mandate and be the arbiter of where those resources go in order to bring about equity. But remember, we talked about how this in itself becomes hypocrisy because to level up the playing field for one group, we need to take away the rights from another. Now, like I said at the start, I did not even have to wait one week for an excellent example that came up on my Facebook feed. It was posted on, um, I actually just read my news from Facebook, like Courier Mail. So in Queensland, we our, our newspaper is the Courier Mail. But in that Facebook post, or if you bought the hard copy of the paper, there was an article and this was the heading. New Zealand weightlifter, 43-year-old Laurel Hubbard, is set to make history at the Tokyo Olympics by becoming the first transgender athlete to compete at the Games. Okay, so here we have a transgender woman. So in other words, a biological male who has transitioned to female has been... um, looks like, hasn't totally been fully named yet, but looks like she is going to become the first transgender athlete to compete at the games in the weightlifting. Now, the article goes on to say that while the 43-year-old has yet to be named in the New Zealand team, a rule change that was approved by the International Olympic Committee, the IOC, means that she would automatically qualify for the women's super heavyweight category. So what was this rule change? So let me just quickly tell you what this rule change was. Now, this rule change happened, according to my research, in 2015. So the new guidelines allowed athletes who transition from male to female to compete in the women's category on a couple of conditions. One was that they declared that they now were female. So it wasn't just for, you know, the the sake of that event, but that they were now declared female. And the other thing was that their testosterone levels had to be below 10 nanomoles per liter. I have no idea what that means, but just, you know, go with it. So their testosterone levels had to be below 10 nanomoles per liter for at least 12 months prior to their first competition. Okay. So as long as they met those requirements, they could then enter into the Olympics. So this whole story has created a brand new controversy, but this Laurel Hubbard is not new to controversy. Um, he slash she already created controversy because, um, 
I struggle saying she because I know it's a biological male, but she already won silver at the 2017 World Championships and represented New Zealand at the 2018 Commonwealth Games. And now it looks like will be the first transgender athlete allowed to compete at the next Olympics. Now, the article quotes that uh, according to New Zealand um, Olympic Committee, and I quote here, the New Zealand team has a strong culture of monarchy and inclusion and respect for all, and we look forward to supporting all athletes selected to the New Zealand team in Tokyo 2020. Now, I think it's really interesting to note that Hubbard actually competed before she transitioned to female. Hubbard competed in men's weightlifting competitions in 2013, but never competed internationally. And then after transitioning, she also won a gold medal at the 2019 Pacific Games in Samoa, where she beat Samoa's Commonwealth Games champion, and I can't even say that lady's name, Fergagaya Stowers, and that sparked outrage in the island nation. I actually remember that happening in 2019. So Australia responded um, and the Weightlifting Federation responded by trying to block Hubbard from competing at our 2018 Commonwealth Games, but that was rejected by the organisers. So let's just unpack this story a little bit more. So we have this transgender woman who looks like now she's going to be able to compete in the 2020 Tokyo Games, um, but it's sparking controversy because clearly people feel that she has an advantage, even though she's met the requirements of being under those 10 nano, whatever that word was, um, for the past 12 months. So we've got this transgender woman who, as far as I could tell from this article and from a few other articles I read, this Laurel Hubbard has never, never won anything in the men's division. I think that's interesting to note, okay? So when Laurel was a male before Laurel became a she and he competed in the men's weightlifting, he never won anything. But now that Laurel Hubbard has been accepted into several different women's divisions because of a rule change, um, she has taken and won a couple of titles now. So clearly people can see that there is something going on here. And even though the research says that she does not have an advantage, people are saying, hey, clearly from the results here, she does have an advantage. As a man, she never won anything. And now as a trans woman, she's won a few times. So when Hubbard won gold in the Pacific Island Games in 2019, the chairman the Samoan chairman of the Olympic um, Games, who was actually against the rule change. And this is what he said. The IOC and the IWF do not discriminate against transgender athletes. And while this may be hard to accept, we must learn to adapt to these rules because it will not change for anyone. So even though this, uh, this man had... Um, concerns about it. He basically is saying there's nothing we can do about it. So we just have to learn to adapt. Now, I think that this is just crazy because clearly they might not be discriminating against the transgender athletes, 
But clearly people feel, particularly women, feel that they are now, the women athletes are being discriminated against. But this is the whole hypocrisy of equity. You elevate one group at the same time. To do that, you have to disadvantage another. Now, can I just say, this is not, my my point here is not about um, anything to do with transgender. My point is this whole thing about equity, that when we elevate one group, and we try and get equal outcomes and equal uh, treatment for every single group, are we in fact disadvantaging, disadvantaging another group? And I just think that this example is a good one of how, yes, when we try and reach this utopia of equity and equal outcome, that we do disadvantage another group. So let's look at another quote in the article from the New Zealand Olympic Committee. So I quote, the New Zealand team has a strong culture of monarchy and inclusion and respect for all. We look forward to supporting all athletes selected to the New Zealand team in Tokyo. In Tokyo. Oh my gosh, you can tell I'm not well. <laughs> in Tokyo. So, monarchy actually just means to take care of and to respect. So, in other words, you know, we have a strong culture of respecting and inclusion and um, taking care of everyone. But what's happening is clearly they're happy to take care of the transgender people and be inclusive of them. But in the process, they're starting to exclude women athletes. And it doesn't make any sense because transgender athletes are robbing girls of the chance to compete fairly. Shouldn't biology be what matters when it comes to sport, not personal identity? Now, I know that there are some studies that say as long as these transgender women have had less than 10 nano particles or whatever it was, that they are on equal footing. But that's only one lot of studies because there are actually other studies to say the opposite. In fact, biological male athletes have an insurmountable physical advantage over biological female athletes. They have greater muscle mass, they have bigger and stronger bones, they have larger hearts and lungs than women. Those things can't be changed by hormone therapy. Moreover, there are new studies coming through that show that even after taking female hormones, transgender women athletes still enjoy at least a temporary physical advantage on the playing field today. And I find it interesting that yet again, because people are pushing for this utopia of equity, that they're only willing to look at one side of the science. They're only willing to look at um, certain articles rather than looking objectively at both sides. And clearly by the outcome, and it's not just in the weightlifting division, but you can look up article after article where girls who probably would have won first place or won gold or whatever it is they're competing in, that when they have transgender women competing with them, that those are the women that are taking the first place. This is disadvantaging our girls. And of course, I'm talking our biological girls. Shouldn't biology be what matters when it comes to sport, not personal identity? Now, for all of those who say that, you know, well, women can do anything that men can do, it just isn't true. And that should not be seen as a bad thing. And no issue highlights this fact more than sports. Men and women are biologically different. And even if you give hormone therapy to a male, 
there are still biological differences. You know, we achieve different outcomes in many areas, including sport. If we didn't, if that wasn't the case, if it was not true that men and women were biologically different, then men and women would form more mixed teams when it comes to competitive sports, but they don't. We don't have mixed competitive teams on TV when it comes to, for example, AFL. We have women's AFL and we have men's AFL. Why? Because men and women perform differently. It's not a bad thing. It just is what it is. It's how we were created. In fact, separating men and women is actually what gives women the same opportunity as men to excel, to win, to advance to the next level, and to stand on that podium. It's the very reason, guys, why women's sport exists in the first place. We, um, you know, allowing biological males to compete in women's sports, even though they might have had hormone therapy, it shatters that dream and it denies women equal opportunities. And yet if women are vocal about the unfairness of this, they're labeled sore losers or transphobic. But I think people need to reconsider this conversation. It's not because people are trying to be transphobic. I think that we could all work together towards another solution. But disadvantaging our uh, disadvantaging our biological girls, I don't think is the answer. Now, I do understand that not every trans athlete joins sport to compete and win. Many just join to be a part of a team and part of a supportive community, which is great, or to exercise or for mental health. But the fact remains that for the most part, sport does end up in competition, whether that be amateur or more professional. There are very few sports that are not competitive. So anyway, I thought it was really, really eye-opening and kind of pleasantly surprising, I guess, at how people responded to this on um, the, the Facebook page that I was on, on the Courier Mail. Out of all the hundreds and hundreds of comments, everybody except one person could see the hypocrisy in this decision of the Olympic Committee to allow a biological male, albeit transgender, to compete in the women's weightlifting um, division. Now, I thought what even was more interesting was the fact that the Courier Mail turned off the comments after only 233 comments. I've never seen them do that before. I've never seen them turn off their comments. They have hundreds more comments on other articles. They have over a thousand comments on some articles and they've never turned them off that I've seen. But like I said, every comment except for one, or maybe there was one or two that I missed, were just completely against this and pointed out the flaws in this senseless rush toward equality and equity. And why would that be? Because I really do think that although people want to be compassionate and they want to be kind and they want to be fair, in fact, that's the very reason that they have an issue with this, because they understand common sense would tell you, hey, for me to be compassionate towards the transgender woman, I'm now acting uncompassionately 
towards the biological female who has worked her butt off to get into the Olympics, who is now not even going to be in the in the running, or it's going to be very difficult for them to win against this transgender um, female. And the weight differences, by the way, in what they were lifting in the trials were not just one kilo difference or, or a point difference. It was like five plus kilos difference. So it was clearly, um, you know, a difference in outcome here. It's just complete common sense that a man, even in the same weight division, is most likely advantaged by the fact that he is biologically male. I've talked about this before when it comes to combat, how men and women are different when it comes to fighting on the front lines. Um, You know, it's just common sense that women who have worked so hard to be able to compete in weightlifting are now disadvantaged, will most likely lose, and they're upset about that. Now, those that preach this new equality gospel are literally shooting themselves in the foot when examples like this come to the surface because they shine a light on the glaring fact, one glaring fact or a couple of glaring facts that people just don't seem to want to admit. And that is that a quality of outcome for everyone, it just doesn't work. Because to achieve this for one group, it means somewhere along the line, somebody else is being disadvantaged and then we're back to square one of it not being a quality of outcome anyway. But of course, at the moment, it depends upon which group is the more politically correct group. So first, we have to spend decades elevating women in sports, fighting for women, you know, fighting for their right to compete, fighting for them to have the same right as men. And women have achieved so much. The women's weight division in the Olympics are one of them. And now we have the transgender community. And again, nobody begrudges them also competing, but maybe in their own division, or I don't know, I don't know what the solution is, but I think we can have a conversation about another solution. But in the push for equal rights for transgender, everyone can see it's pretty obvious that we're back to square one of the biological women actually being disadvantaged. Now, Laurel Hubbard, who couldn't win a medal in the men's division, is now ranking fourth in the women's qualifiers. And like I said, she won gold in 2019. And when she did that, she took the opportunity away from a biological woman. So while transgender women now more and more are having equal rights, we have disadvantaged the biological women in the process. And that's kind of my point exactly with this whole equality and equity. To ensure equal outcomes for one group, it can only be achieved if we disadvantage another group. But you know what I wonder? Where are the feminists now? See, feminists were shouting equality from the rooftops for transgender women. But I think now they've realized that they've got what they wanted, but shot themselves in the foot at the same time. They worked for one group and disadvantaged the group that they first set out to help. Here's another angle to think about it from. Yet again, in trying to achieve this equality, we had to change the rules for one group. Now, how did we change the rules? Well, any drugs used in sports is banned, especially in the Olympics. Drugs are seen to enhance and to give an advantage to athletes. But here again is a glaring double standard. Trans women competing in the Olympics are certainly on drugs as a part of their transition, 
So once again, what is banned in one group is now allowed in another, which gives one group an advantage over the other. So kind of back to square one, our push for the equity here has created inequality. And to achieve, to achieve this equality for one group, we've disadvantaged yet another. And it just seems that everyone on Facebook could see this. You know, the other issue is why did the Courier Mail turn their comments off? You know, are they blocking free speech again? Um, you know, because did they not agree with what the 99.9% of the people are saying? So because it's not the politically correct view of, of a certain newspaper right now, they just turn the comments off. I, I just couldn't understand that. Or maybe they're scared they'll get sued for discrimination. I'm not sure. Anyway, just to finish off, I thought it was interesting just to look at the Inclusion Act um, that, or the, the Australian Sex Discrimination Act, I should say, um, which was written back in 1984. And that stated that children aged under 12 years cannot be excluded on the basis of sex or gender identity from participating in competitive sporting activities. Okay, so that's children under 12. But then it goes on to say, People of one gender aged um, 12 and over can be excluded if strength or stamina or physique of competitors is relevant. So I thought that was pretty interesting how much has changed since 1984. And no doubt, um, unless they've already revisited it and I've missed that, but no doubt the Australian Sex Discrimination Act will probably have to be revised because at the moment it's pretty clear that uh, if you have a transgender woman competing that they do have a different strength or stamina or perhaps physique. Um, and the last thing that I wanted to end with, and I don't know if you guys were aware of this, but on his very first day in office a couple of months ago, Joe Biden signed an executive order. And I remember this coming through on my Instagram. So first day, first day in office, he signed an order that threatened to pull federal funding from schools unless they allow transgender women to compete on girls sports team. And in fact, um, not long after that, the House actually passed a bill that would write that policy permanently into law. And I just think it's so interesting that these laws and these standards that have been around for decades, now just because they've been around for decades doesn't mean that we can't revisit them. And it doesn't mean that we can't look at them and have discussions and maybe look at changing them. But these things are being changed so quickly um, and without really knowing what the consequence is. We haven't had, you know, transgender people competing for very long. And so even though science studies are coming through, it seems that political leaders and leaders of things like the Olympic committees are only looking at one side of the science and they're not listening to the people who are saying, hey, there's actually a group being disadvantaged here. And they're just not willing to even have that conversation. In fact, if you try and have it, you're labeled as transphobic, when really I think that these are understandable questions, especially considering that feminists have worked for decades to give women equal rights and better rights. And now they're just back to square one all over again. So 
anyway, they were my thoughts. Um, I hope, look, my voice held out for half an hour, which is amazing. Uh, But they're my thoughts. If you guys come across any articles or anything else like this, I would love for you to send them along to me because I love reading them and just, you know, thinking through these things. I think this is what critical thinking is. Critical thinking is looking at all sides of the debate. Um, And so, you know, I feel like that's really lacking now that we're not allowed to think critically. We're only allowed to think according to what, you know, the mob um, are telling us that we're allowed to think. Um, and, And I just get so many of you that are coming to me and saying, oh my gosh, thank God you are saying these things. Thank you, Renee, for speaking out. Thank you for asking the questions. Thank you for raising these things because because I have a feeling like that Facebook post about that um, article that I was talking about, that a lot more people have questions and are thinking like this, but they're just doing it quietly because they don't want to be seen as uncompassionate and they don't want to be told, you know, that they're whatever phobic, that they have whatever phobia, which we don't. We just have the right to ask questions that to me are completely common sense. So I hope you enjoyed that today. And uh, thanks for bearing with me. And um, I can't wait to be with you again on Friday. So until then, have an absolutely fabulous week. Bye. Make sure you come and find me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast.